Our scripture reading today is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 23, which happens to be my personal favorite. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, in these few moments together as we look at this very familiar psalm, we pray that we might hear your voice and not the, simply the one who speaks. Help us to glean from these words, a guidance for us. Help us be honest with ourselves. In the quietness of this time, help us to look inside, look into the mirror. Help us to see not only who we are, who we've been, but what you're calling us to be. Help us to see how much you love us. And that's why you guide us in the way of truth. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. You know, several sermons could be preached about Psalm 23. But for your sake, I'm only going to preach one. Okay. Um, In particular... I'm just going to look at one verse, okay? And that's why you're not going to see a lot of slides right now for my sermon. You're going to see this one slide because I want you to see those words and I want it to just kind of, you know, use it as a memory verse, if you will. Let it just kind of sink in. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, as I've already shared with the children in the children's message this morning, in Psalm 23, the psalmist uh, describes God as a shepherd who leads us to uh, green pastures, helps us to lie down in those pastures, leads us, guides us to still waters, leads us through the darkest valley that, uh, at least in one translation, calls the valley of the shadow of death. God leads us through through these difficulties, comforts us with a rod and staff, And then God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. So what does that mean? That's what I'd like to spend some time just thinking about. What does that mean when God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies? There there are two elements in this verse that kind of jump right off the page, I'm, I'm sure. The table 
and enemies. Let's talk about the table first. Now, there are a lot of tables in our houses, right? I mean, you have a table where you drop your ex extra change, a table where you have a lamp. There's a table that you use maybe as a, a desk at home. Uh, but when I think of table, and when I think of the kind of table that I think the psalmist is talking about, I think of the table that I remember from my childhood in lower Alabama, also known as L.A., uh, I live with my grandparents, my family, my dad and my brothers and sisters. We, we all lived in this kind of farmhouse. Um, uh, there, there was, we had electricity um, and we had running water. We had a pump in the kitchen. That was our running water. We did not have indoor plumbing though. So we had an outhouse out back. Uh, my, my kids still think that I'm lying about all that. Um, even though I've actually shown them pictures of the, the outhouse and all the rest. But anyway, when I, when I think of table, though, I think of the table that was spread before us every Sunday afternoon after church. All the cousins would come from all over Satsuma, Alabama, around Mobile. We, we'd gather and we'd fill up that, uh, that house and people would bring their, all sorts of food. And um, back then the women were all in the kitchen and they were... Uh, putting things together, and the men, of course, were out sitting talking about baseball. And um, uh, the kids, we all ate at a children's table. And uh, but boy, I can still see the table. I can still smell the aroma, the mashed potatoes, and the gravy, and the fried chicken. And the, boy, every Sunday, every Sunday, it was like at least it seemed that way. That was our Sunday meal. And then when the meal was over, the real course began. They cleared off the table and out came the pies and the cakes and the cookies and wow, then we had a feast. For me, table means comfort food. It means pies. It means conversation, laughter. It means family. That's what it means to me. A place for, for connecting with one another. And so when I see the word enemies, it seems to be an antithesis to my concept of table. I cannot imagine enemies and table. If I, if I talk about a t enemy, an enemy's table, it, it's an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense that you would put these two together. Here they are in the same sentence. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Enemies to... To me are people who seek us harm, who work against our best interests, that they, they really have no interest in us at all except maybe to make our lives miserable. That's what I think of when I think of enemies. I certainly don't think of enemies being anywhere near my family table. Just doesn't make sense. Now, needless to say, we don't usually sit down at table with our enemies, do we? The psalmist seems to be saying that God is preparing a table for us to sit there alone. God's going to be there. But otherwise, no one else is at the table, and our enemies are in our presence, but they're all surrounding. You can almost imagine this room. You're sitting there at this table. you got, you got all this food, but your enemies are all back in the shadows, surrounding the table, eyes gleaming, waiting to pounce. Like walking through the darkest valley, as the New Revised Standard Version translates it, or as the King James translates it, 
walking through the valley of the shadow of death all alone, except for God who is with us. Maybe that's what the psalmist is saying, but I want to suggest an alternative scenario. I believe God prepares a table for me to share with my enemies. Think about this. As opposed to sitting at a table surrounded by enemies, I'm in the presence of my enemies, which means they are sitting in my presence at the table, not surrounding it. You and I are not the only ones at the table that God has prepared. Everyone is there, even our enemies. That's what I want to propose. Now, mind you, this could still be pretty frightening. Think about it. You're sitting at a table and your enemy is sitting right next to you, maybe bumping you to get the butter. <laughs> the other one's on the other side, reaching across your plate to grab the, that, that drumstick, you know? And you're sitting there not knowing what to do. Maybe there's another one sitting right across just looking at you with evil in his or her eyes. It could be like walking through a dark valley. But remember, the psalmist says, I will fear no evil, for you're with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. Now, you might say, well, that's not what the psalmist is talking about. Maybe that's not what the psalmist intended originally. Maybe. But maybe so. I certainly think this is what Jesus would have said. If he stood up in the synagogue and he read Psalm 23 and he got to verse 5, I believe he would say what I'm saying right now. Because he talked about it in other ways. He talked about a great banquet in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, and in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Both of these are parables that he tells to people who were used to excluding enemies from their table. He was talking to Pharisees. He was talking to people who in their own self-righteousness was simply saying they don't belong here. They don't belong at my table, certainly not at God's table. If you're unclean, you haven't washed up, you don't belong at the table. And so Jesus had to tell some parables to these people to help them understand perhaps what the psalmist may or may not have intended, but I believe what God has intended. In Matthew's account, well, let me say in both accounts, both Matthew and Luke, the people are invited. The, the invited guests are to come to, in one case it's a great banquet, in the other it's a wedding feast. But it, it appears to be the same parable that Jesus is telling. And they're supposed to come. But they all start making excuses and, and they don't come. They, they've got other places to be. They really have no interest in being at God's table, at God's banquet. And so in Matthew's account, the king who has called for this uh, this wedding feast, tells his servants to go out and to invite other people. And who, who does the king want uh, his servants to invite? He wants them to invite the good and the bad. Hmm. Could be enemies, couldn't it? In Luke's gospel, 
of this great banquet, the householder who is holding this great feast, this great banquet, when the invited guests don't want to come, when they make excuses, he sends his servants out to invite the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. And in both instances, when those are invited, whether they be good and the bad or the poor, maimed, blind, and lame, there's still room at the table. There's still room at the party, still room at the banquet. And so the, the household owners, whether it be king or householder himself, they send the servants out a second time and they go out into the streets, into the highways and the byways, and they invite everyone to come in. In other words, everyone is invited to the banquet. So why wouldn't God prepare a table for us that would include our enemies? Not just set a place for them to surround and wait until we've left some crumbs for them to eat. You see, maybe what the psalmist is saying is that God prepares a table for me that allows even my enemies to sit in my very presence, in the presence of my enemies. Wow. And I don't know what you think, but that is some kind of table. That is precisely why as United Methodists, whenever we, have, we share in Holy Communion, our table is an open table. That's why I take great pains. I believe Phil does and most pastors that I know in the United Methodist Church, whenever we have the Lord's table before us, whenever we invite people forward, we say everyone is invited. Not just the good, but the good and the bad. The poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. Even our enemies are invited to the Lord's table because that's who owns the table. There's no excommunicating anyone in the United Methodist Church. The Lord's table is open to all. Now here's my question. Do we, do you and I, practice an open table in our lives, in our community, and even in our church? Do we? Do we expect people to behave a certain way, act a certain way, believe a certain way, be something other than who they are before we'll let them sit at our table. You know, Phil and I were, we have a lot of little discussions. And, uh, and one of the things I, I was saying to Phil, um, and I don't know if this is a product of years of ministry or what. Maybe it's my personality. But I said to Phil, I said, Phil, you know, there are battles we fight. Our lives are full of battles, but we can't fight all of them. So we have to choose the battles we fight. We just can't. We, so we, we have to pick certain battles. And there are some places where you just got to stand firm and you got you to fight that battle. When I, was, when I started my ministry about 38 years ago, I... I was appointed to a little church up in Northern Virginia called St. Luke's United Methodist. It's where I met my wife, Cheryl. We, it was a small church, and uh, 
we had a fellowship hall and that was our worship space as well as place where we'd have dinners. And it was a, it was a two floor situation where the, the ground level was the fellowship hall, which was our sanctuary. And, and listen, you all feel good about these chairs right now because we sat on uh, folding metal chairs. And, um, and then down in the basement would be, were the classrooms and a couple of offices. It's just a small church. A few years after I had been there, there was a, a small, and we were predominantly a white congregation. And, and there was a little black congregation, United Methodist Church, that was closing down not far from us. And so we got into a conversation and, and we merged. And, and it so happened that we merged the very year that Cheryl and I were married. And so, uh, you know, it was kind of neat. We, you know, it was like a marriage of churches as well as a marriage of uh, husband and wife. <clears throat> A Korean church began worshiping in our, in our fellowship hall slash sanctuary in the afternoons on Sunday. And, uh, and they would bring a lot of their Korean food. And, and there was an aroma about the spicy food that, uh, that this Korean congregation would bring. Partly because of the merger that we had, and partly we, had, we were a larger congregation now, we were able to start the process of building a new sanctuary. And so that's what we did. And we were in the process of building. And then the subject came up. Were we going to let the Koreans meet in our sanctuary? They're going to smell that place up with all, their, with all their Korean food. And it was a growing, growing consensus in the church. No way. They're not going in our new sanctuary and sit on our new pews. Mess that place up. Koreans can meet in our fellowship hall. I knew that was a battle I needed to fight. That was a battle. You know, my ministry maybe was going to end pretty short. <laughs> Didn't know. The leader of the No Koreans in Our Sanctuary movement happened to be a, a very uh, strong member, longtime member of the church, a member of the trustees, and husband to my secretary. <laughs> this was going to be a diplomatic challenge, I knew. A lot of discussions went on. A lot of meetings were held. Finally, we had a congregational meeting. It wasn't enough just to have what we have now, church council. Back then, it was an administrative board. So we had a congregational meeting. We all gathered in the sanctuary. We filled that sanctuary, and it was our fellowship hall. Because we had the folding chairs, we could kind of space them around so we could kind of see each other. It was a long meeting. A lot of, lot of stuff came out. But the Spirit began to move in that place. Something happened that nobody there had control over. And little by little, a person would stand up. Roland was, was the trustee. And they would turn, Roland, I love you like a brother but you're wrong. We can't do this. We need to open our doors. And one after another, that happened. And when that meeting came to its conclusion, it was unanimous that the Koreans were going to worship with us. In fact, we even had a joint service with them. <clears throat> and we all held hands and we prayed. You know, do we 
have an open table in our lives, in our church, and in our hearts? That's really the question, isn't it? Will, will we allow our enemies to sit at table with us? Now, the Koreans were not our enemies, and, and I'm not suggesting that people that are different are, are out to harm us, but a lot of times we are fearful that we will be harmed by people who are different from us. We're fearful that somehow our faith will be taken away if they believe differently, or our, our values will be taken away if their values are different. Somehow in the fear, in the fear, it drives us to push away God's children. My wife's, uh, my wife is white. Her sister is white. She married a black man years ago. Her parents cut off all communication. There was no, it was as if their daughter had died. Cheryl and I were the only ones who had any contact with them. And the rest of the family, the extended family, they, they, they were caught and they, I think I would just stay away from her. You see, the, the table had been cut off. The door had been closed. And it was not until the day she divorced did her parents recognize that she was still alive. What a sadness. The marriage probably didn't last because she didn't have the support of the family. I don't know. Who, who knows about these things? That's what happens, you see, when we, when we, when we say, you're not allowed at God's table. You're not allowed at my table. Because, it's, because I don't agree with what you think or believe or do. But that's not God's table. God's table is open to all. God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. In Jesus' day, the, the enemies for the Jews were the Samaritans. Today, the enemies of the Arabs are the Jews, for many. For radical Islamists of today, their enemies are really pretty much anybody who's not a Muslim. Infidels, they would call them. For the religious right in America, it would probably be the LGBT community. For many liberals, perhaps their enemies would be the Tea Party. Need I go on? Need I spell out all the ways in which we, this very day, in our own lives, we make a list of our enemies and we exclude them from our love? And by doing so, exclude them from, from a connection with God? For some people, it may be a family member, like in the case of my wife's sister and her parents. It could be a neighbor or a stranger. But God prepares a table in the presence of our enemies so we can eat with our enemies. We don't have to be afraid. God is with us. We are not alone. Let us pray. Lord, spread your bounty before us. And then help us to open our doors and invite all of your children to the table. 
Amen.